You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. Fantastic. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Romans 12? Romans 12 is our text for today. All of you look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. It is a fantastic day to be in the Lord's house. Let's just say um, it is healthy for you to wake up early. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like it's got to be said today. Uh, good news, regardless of if you woke up because you meant to or just by God's providence, you woke up early and thought, I better get to church. I didn't know time changed. The good news of today is you'll get to hear the gospel and it won't get dark till 7.30. So, so regardless of what happens the rest of the day, it is going to be a fantastic day for us, okay? Uh, so, so all of that being said, we now get to turn our attention to one of the most applicable chapters in all of the Bible. So as we are turning our way to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, same verses that we just heard, we need to remember there are two types of people that are probably in this room and watching right now online. And here are the two types, particularly when it comes to approaching God's Word. Uh, there, there are the type that, that love the deepness and the richness of theology. Uh, it's those people who, who would, would, would want more than anything else. They want to live in the why question. So, so you'll hear a teaching and they'll say, why? And it's not a why of, well, I don't believe that's true. They just want to know more about it. They want to dive deep into the language. They, they love the debates over God's election and man's free will. They think it's fun to practice the guttural sounds in the Hebrew language. Do you guys know what guttural sounds are? It was always one of my favorite things to do in Hebrew class. It was the, the sound, they say, uh, most of our language comes from here, but Hebrew comes from here. Uh, and I thought that meant from the heart because that would be really sweet. They said, no. It comes from the stomach. Uh, and so the, the guttural sounds are like, like the, the guttural H in Hebrew is, <sighs> it sounds gross, but you got to do it if you want to pronounce it correctly. So there are people in the room or people watching right now online that whenever you think of Hebrew words, you want to pronounce that. Like whenever you hear Yom Kippur, right? So, so it's almost like you have to spit to say it. Everybody else in the room, we're good with just Yom Kippur, guys. We're, we're good with right where we are. We don't need to make it fancy. It's probably not pronounced right anyway, but we're going to be confident and roll with it, right? Then there's the other type in the room. And maybe this makes up you or me. I think I kind of live here more than, than the first group, but, but to each their own. And it's the group that would say, I just love God's word for the commands it gives us. Like God said it and I want to do it. Um, the depths of theology is all well and good, but give me what I need to know so I can do what I need to do. Now, if you're in the first group that we mentioned, the, 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 the group that loves theology, the first 11 chapters of Romans have been great for you. You've loved every second. But if you're in the second group, you're going to love everything we do from this day forward um, because everything we do is all application driven. Now, when I say application-driven, it is going to be clear. Everything today is going to be usable by you right now in this moment, when you go to life group, and when you leave today. But it's not going to be easy. But it is going to be true. So you need to go ahead and resolve that in your heart right now, even before we jump in, that as we go into God's Word, if it tells us something, if it's an imperative, meaning a command from God's Word to our life as followers of Christ, we need to be obedient to it. 
whether we like it or not, whether it's easy or not, okay? So, so we resolve that before we even jump in, okay? So as we, we jump into this, I want to give you one more bit of information as we go into the end of, of Romans chapter 12. You're going to hear something today that sounds an awful lot like something that's going to come in the next few books of the Bible, particularly in 1 Corinthians. So, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is writing to help the, the readers in Corinth, help, help the, the Christians in Corinth to know what it is to have spiritual gifts, to know the, gifts thing, the giftings that, that the Spirit gives to people and the purposes behind those gifts. But then you get to the end of, of chapter 12 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and, and he's got this line in there. Paul, Paul writes to them, and he kind of gives this segue into what comes next. He says, but I'm going to show you an even better way. I'm going to show you something even better than all of the giftings that I've just mentioned in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And then when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as the love chapter of the Bible, typically you'll hear that at weddings or you'll hear that uh, during Valentine's. But I want you to understand that has everything to do with spiritual gifting in the church. Because here's what Paul would say. In all of your giftedness, you need to understand that the reason God gave this this to you, the giftings to you, is so that you can show the love of Christ to the world. And so maybe you have incredible giftings. He goes through a little bit of a list here. He says, maybe in, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, maybe you have the gift of speaking in tongues. Maybe it's prophetic powers. Maybe you have the ability to understand all mysteries and, and understand all knowledge. You possibly have the ability to say to that mountain over there and say, mountain, throw yourself into the ocean and the mountain will unhinge from the earth and throw itself into the ocean. Maybe you have that gift. Now, what he's doing is he's using hyperbole here. And the the idea is this, you can have extravagant gifts, but if love isn't the reason behind you using them, then they're worthless. Same thing when we get to Romans chapter 12. First part, the, the first eight verses talk about us having a, a new mind, us seeing God's mercy, seeing his goodness, seeing, seeing the salvation that he has trusted to us. And that has drawn us to a spiritual act of worship. And the way we stay in that, the way that we live in that is to be re- renewing our mind and that transforms us every day. And then you get to the last part of what we looked at last week and it's God's gifting to us. It's God's gifting to his church to make sure that the the people of this world have an opportunity to to know Christ, to see Christ, and to respond to his goodness. And then he reminds us here again, the same thing in 1 Corinthians. That if love is not the reason for service or the administering of the gifts, then the service is absolutely worthless. God's mercies are in full view. In their living sacrifice, in their transformative power, in their renewing of our mind, Paul says that every believer has a role to play in the body of Christ, and each person has been measured out a gift given to them by God so that the church would be encouraged and the lost would be saved. But in all of the measured giftedness that has been given out, the purpose of that is the love of Christ. And that's why Paul says here in, first Corinth, uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, read with me. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
and hold fast to what is good. Now, Paul's instruction here is so simple and yet so profound, okay? This is what he says. Let your, this, this would be implied to you, believer, follower of Christ, let the love that you are using to, to implore, to, 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 to show these gifts to the world, let it be genuine love. Now, for many, especially the, the day and age that we live in, this has a strangely interpreted meaning. Typically, we, we believe this. Now, this is not correct. What I'm about to say is not the right way because when I'm going to say it, you're going to say, oh, that sounds right. No, it's not. Here's, here's what typically the world sees when we say, let your love be genuine. This is what we hear. Everyone and everything gets good vibes and affirmation. When, when, when you hear, let, let love be genuine, let love be given to everyone, typically that's the definition that comes into play in many people's minds. It is this idea, well, then God's love is just kind and good and sweet and it loves everything, so just go and do as you please. That is not what Paul is saying. In the remaining words in verse 9, this is what he says. To show us what genuine love is, he says, abhor what is evil, to hate and avoid what is morally corrupt. So I think this could be strange for us, for, for, for Paul to say, you are to allow your love as you are administering these gifts to, to, to encourage the church and to allow the lost to be, to be found, to, to let your love be genuine. And the very first descriptor of love seems to be a negative clause. Let your love be genuine, but I want you to hate and avoid all things that are morally corrupt. That's the first part of love being genuine. That was important for the first century Christians in Rome. Listen to me. That's important for the 21st century Christians in Madison. We are to understand what God's standards are and live according to them. So the first thing that Paul says out the gate in our love being genuine, it is this, that we are to hate and avoid all things that are morally corrupt. And then on the other side, so if that's the first side of the coin of genuine love, the second side of that coin, same coin, is this, hold fast to what is good. The, the word hold fast in the Greek means to cling like glue. Cling like glue to all of God's goodness. So, so hate what is, what is wrong, what is, what is morally corrupt, and cling like glue to God's goodness. I know that sounds hard. Because as, as believers, generally, we are encouraging group, or at least we should be an encouraging group. We should look around us and say, how can I bring joy to the world that I am in? How can I bring light into the darkness? And our version of light is constant. Man, you're doing a great job, man. Keep going. Hey, look, no, no shade thrown to you. No, no oppression given to you. You just keep going. As I read through this, it reminded me of just a couple of years ago. Uh, before I came to, to serve as lead pastor here, I was serving uh, at New Palestine, which I absolutely loved. It was great. And I did a lot of other things there. Uh, I coached Little League Baseball, which I'm doing here. And another thing that I did is I, I coached CrossFit classes, particularly the strength portion of CrossFit classes. Uh, and here's what I, I've learned about coaching, typically, to no, no shade to any coaches in the room. It wasn't because I was strong or good at it. It was kind of the, the mentality in my mind, uh, those that can't do coach, uh, and that was me. Uh, I wanted to be on the team cheering them on. And I thought I was the best CrossFit coach. Here, here's why. 
that if you've ever done those type workouts, they're pretty intense. They, they can leave you feeling some kind of way. And so I was under the coaching of other people that I left not feeling so encouraged. So when it was going to be my turn, I wanted to go into the gym and I wanted to be a, a positive poly. I wanted to, to people to walk in and want to be in Josh's class. When they saw his name on the schedule, I wanted them to be there. Because when they would come in and they start to, to, to lift weights, my coaching would always sound like this. Man, that was perfect. Great job. That couldn't have been any better. Awesome. You are doing so well. And so the guy who owned the gym pulled me aside one day and said, hey, I need to tell you something. I said, you're going to tell me how great I am, huh? He said, you're not a really good coach. Whoa, time out, babe. I'm Josh Braddy. Don't you, don't you know me? He said, a coach isn't supposed to tell you you're great. A coach is supposed to make you better. And if you keep telling these lifters that they're lifting perfectly, and all you do is give them positive feedback, and there's never correction given, they'll never be better. They'll always think that they're okay where they are. And Josh, there'll come a day when they put too much weight on the bar, or they begin to do an, a gymnastics lift that, or movement that they shouldn't be doing, and because you told them that they were okay, they're going to get hurt doing it. Your job is not to tell them they're perfect. Your job is to help them get better. I left that day kind of sad, but he was, he was right. When we read this text, a lot of times as believers, we think our job in this world is to go and tell everybody they're perfect and great. Do we not understand the world? Do we not understand the first part of Romans that we've read through? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The world is not perfect. They're not doing a good job. And it's our, opportunity, it's our responsibility to speak truth in love into the world. Now, th this is our love being genuine. So as we administer the gifts that have been trusted to us, that is not being mean by no stretch of the imagination. Is this mean? This is truthful and honest. So Paul says, let your love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. This is genuine love. And in that genuine love, look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. All right, so anytime you see one another in the scriptures, it typically means other Christians. And so this first part of what we will read today is, is directly given to us how Christians will relate to other Christians. And then when we get to the end today, it'll be how Christians relate to the, to the world that is not yet in the kingdom, okay? So here's what Paul says. You are to love one another. You are to love other, other Christians, other Christ followers. But the word here for brotherly affection is probably a word you know very well. The Greek word is Philadelphia. to love like they're your brother, to, to love like, like they're family to you, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we are to treat other followers of Christ. In that, here's what he says, be eager to show respect to your brothers and sisters. Our desire is to love like Christ. When we wake up in the morning, when we go out, when we come home, we are to always be looking for ways to love like Christ. We are to be eager for that to outdo one another in showing honor. 
This is what that practically looks like. Look at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. Now, there's three sections here, as you can imagine. Here here is what that means. Slothful in zeal means do not be lazy in your calling. The, the call, the, like, like be busy with what God has trusted to you, know, knowing that that is how we are to relate with one another. In our conversations, it should be spurring us on to accomplish the task that God has called us to in love. Don't be slothful in zeal. The second part, this is fun. This is, this is a unique word. We get it in the English translation as fervent in the spirit. This is a Jewish idiom, which means be boiling over with the spirit of God. Meaning that you are so fire hot for the Lord that you can't but contain the message inside of you. This should be the daily Christian walk. That we are about our Father's business and we can't stop it. Even if we tried to, you put the lid on the boiling pot, it is going to come off. And in all of that, you are to serve the Lord. This is how we as Christ followers are to live out our days with one another. Accountability in the mission. And in that, we are to, verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. So Paul says we, we are to rejoice in the hope of, of right now and not yet. So, so today there is something to rejoice in. There is reason for our heart to be boiling over with, with, with passion to, uh, uh, to accomplish what God has called us to do. It's because he is our Lord today. He sits on the throne today and we belong to him. That's good. But as good as right now is, it doesn't compare to what's coming. And so we live here working for the here and now, but we are living for the day that's to come. So we rejoice in hope. And while we wait, we are patient in the troubles that come. And they will. We live in a fallen world and we do life with fallen people and we ourselves are still of the falling nature. But in all things, how do we accomplish this? All things, we are constant in prayer. This is us when we wake up, as we go, and when we come home to be continually speaking to the Father. Just having conversation with Him everywhere we go about everything. I don't know if you have a practice of this, but I would encourage you, if you don't, it would be a good day to start that. You would say, Josh, what do you talk about? Anything. Everything. Talk to him. As you are going, these are just some ways that it works out in my life. And I know other people that I talk to. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing is, Lord, thank you for a new day. God, I don't know what you have for me today. I know what my schedule says, but I don't know what else you have for me today. I'm curious. I'm excited to see what you're going to have. When I am driving different places and I see different places, it sparks in me a a prayer. When I I go to to the grocery store, I walk in and say, Lord, you're going to test my patience, no doubt. But who do you want me to minister today? Who do you want to minister to me today? Lord, I am open-handed and ready to receive what you have for me. I'm open-handed. I'm ready to do what you are calling me to do. This is all day. This is, this is as we are going. And this is going to be something that's going to blow your mind potentially. And it is this. If you live in constant prayer, it's hard for you to live in the flesh. 
So if you find yourself living in the flesh, maybe you were angry, maybe you were jealous, maybe you were greedy, maybe words that are coming out of your mouth aren't necessarily, necessarily savory words for a believer. Here would be my encouragement to you, be constant in prayer. It's hard for your mouth to be giving curses when your heart is giving praise. That's what it says for us to do. Look, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and in all things be constant in prayer. Look at verse 13. And all the while contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So as we advance the kingdom, collectively, with our brothers and sisters, by our side. If we see a fellow Christ follower, and we, have, and we see a fellow Christ follower in need, and we have the means to meet that need, guess what? You should meet that need joyfully. Like, this is Acts 2 kind of stuff. That when they saw brothers and sisters in need, and they had possessions, they sold those possessions so they can contribute to the need. That's what the first church did. That's what believers do. But it's also in this verse, verse 13, that the language that Paul uses begins to shift. The first part, when he says that if you contribute to the needs of the saints, that is saints being Christians, people who are of the household of faith. But then when he says, seek to show hospitality, the language shifts to the non-believer now. And the remaining verses from here to verse 21 are going to be non-believer related. So if the first part is how we are to interact with other followers of Christ, this would be how we interact with the lost world around us. Paul says first, you should seek to show hospitality. That from those inside the household of faith, that we should be looking for, pursuing after opportunities to serve and to love those outside. When you see the word hospitality, it's two words put together. It is seeking to serve the stranger. And so, so the stranger in the family of God is those who are not yet in the family of God. So Paul says, look, our job is to always be looking for ways to serve and give the kindness to everyone, especially those who are not following Christ yet. But as you can imagine, listen, when a follower of Christ engages a non-Christ following world in genuine love, abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good, there is going to be some we'll call it holy tension. And the rest of this chapter gives us wisdom on what we are to do so we can thrive inside of this holy tension. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Now, uh, going back to the Old Testament just quickly, um, Proverbs chapter 12 verse 18 tells us that there is power in the tongue. Like we have life and death in our tongue. So Paul says when persecution comes, and it will, when we are treated poorly because of our faith and our devotion to Christ, we are to give our persecutor blessing, life, and not curses, not death. Why in the world would we want to do that? I want God to get him for hurting me. I want God to go get him for hurting those that I love. We need to understand our role in this world. We are not left here after we are saved to be kings and queens of this world. Christian, this is not our home. We are left here to be ambassadors for Christ, to give a good and faithful witness. We are here so the lost will see Christ and be saved. 
That's why he says in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is, this is how we are to, to, to be around lost people. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Do not be puffed up. But associate with the lowly. That means put your life where their lives are. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. All right, so this is exactly what Christ did. This is how he lived. And this is our call today. And you you may say, wait, Josh, I thought this section just opened up with abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. How can that be true and we obey this? Great question. Here's what we need to know, and I need you to resolve this in your heart today, okay? I think it's already there, but I want you just to resolve it down, okay? People are not evil. People are fellow image bearers of the Father. I know you may look at someone and you say, no, no, Josh, they're evil. No, no. Their actions are evil. The things that they associate themselves with is evil. The desires that, that dwell in their heart and come in their mind and come out of their mouth, those things are evil, but they are not evil. It's same, same way this. When we think of, of Ephesians 6 and we put on the full armor of God, we understand that the battle is not against flesh and blood. Why? Because flesh and blood are image bearers. But the battle is against the darkness and the principalities of this world. I think one of the biggest tensions that we have, and, and, and I think it's, it's, it's a tough one to get by, is this. We know that we are to engage and love unbelievers in a way that is going to call them to Christ. But in so many times, we don't want anything to do with them, so we never engage them with the gospel. It's going to be hard for us to find the lost and point them to Christ if we stay away from them. It's really hard to do evangelism from from this street over from that street and say, hey, I hope you guys are okay. Jesus is the way. Have a good day. Is that what Christ did? Hmm. Change it. Is that what Christ did for you? Or did he meet you in your depravity? On the day when you couldn't get your life together, you, you couldn't even think a holy thought. There's no way you could have done anything. Is that what Christ did? Did he speak at you from a distance or did he show up and was he the lifter of your head? Was he there to speak life into you when the whole world was speaking death to you? Hey, ambassador of Christ, that's now our job. We are called to engage the world with the hope of the gospel. Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer that we would be in the world, but not of the world. Why are we going to be in the world so that the world would know Christ? We are to indeed abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. But the call is not to stay away from lost people. The call is to engage them with the hope of the gospel. Actions and activities can be evil. Those are the things that we are to abhor, to stay away from. But this is a tough line. There's going to be tension. Dark will hate the light. So, verse 18, if possible, 
so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Our goal isn't to fight. Our goal is to honor Christ and represent Him well. And in that, here is some great wisdom. I want to be clear. I don't want to just glaze past verse 18 because I think there's so much here. But just in a nutshell, here it is. There's just going to be some unresolved relationships in this world. Because light and darkness cannot coexist. And so when we as ambassadors of Christ who hold the light of Christ and we engage the darkness, darkness is not going to say, well, well, let's just live side by side and we're all going to be okay. That can't happen. So either the dark becomes light or the darkness fights. So that's why Paul says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. They're not going to be peaceably with you. They hate who you represent. They hate who resides inside of you. But you don't hate them because your heart has been changed. So we, as far as we can, live peaceably with them. Here's what that looks like, verse 19 and following. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. So, so in all things, we are trusting in the sovereignty of God, and there's no need to avenge ourselves because God sees you. He has you. If it's God's will... He will punish. Our job isn't to be the judge nor the sentencer. Our job is to love with the love of Christ. But here's the strange thing, that when we love with the love of Christ, when when we see our enemy and they are hungry, we feed them. When we see them thirsty, we give them something to drink. Something amazing happens. Our Christ-like love will be to the lost like burning coals on their head. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a good thing. Matter of fact, I remember growing up and hearing this passage preached in a way of, well, if you can't give vengeance and you got to trust God, at least you can get him with kindness. That's not what this means. You're not giving them kindness in hopes of, man, I hope they really enjoy this. That's the craziest thing. I want you to get the image here. I bet it's not far from you, but when we read it, it, it potentially paints a different picture. Here's the picture, okay? Having hot coals on your head doesn't leave you in the same place and doing the same thing. Having hot coals on your head causes you to move quickly. All right. Madison County. We got a bunch of men and women who love the outdoors. We've got people who like a good campfire. Have you ever been around a campfire and it's just been a beautiful night and it's, it's cold and the fire is warm and you get a little bit close to it and you're completely content right where you are. And then all of a sudden, one of your kids, I mean, somebody else will come with a fire poker and they poke the fire and all of a sudden, all the logs begin to shift and fall in the fire and all the embers go up in the air and you're so close to the fire and it falls on you. What do you do? Do you say, glory, this is good. No, 
Man, you were jumping out of your seat no matter how comfortable it was. You were running. You, if you had hair, you're trying to get it off. Some of us, we ain't got to dust a lot because we, we ain't got none. The hot coals on the head, listen, is not wrath, it's grace. But if they're stuck in their ways and there's no getting them out, how can they be moved? It is by the light, the, the kindness of Christ. The, the kindness of Christ draws them to repentance, and it's also the thing that unseats them. So in your kindness, you are not killing them with kindness. You are pointing them to Christ. They're not going to enjoy it. Nobody enjoys the embers falling on their head. But it's a great warning to get away from what is burning you. So Paul says, it may be your Christ-like love in the midst of persecution that leads your persecutor to Christ. Read the New Testament. See if this plays out. It does in every book. In the last verse, as our worship team comes back up, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here it is in the Christian life. It doesn't matter what the situation may seem to be. I know there's a lot of times in the world that we live in today, it feels like the enemy is winning. It feels like darkness is prevailing. That is not true. The enemy is already defeated. Darkness is already done for. And light will prevail. Christ will come in victory. When we see heaven part in Revelation and we see Christ come back, what's Christ wearing? He's robed in white. That's not battle garb. That's victory garb. The, 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 the battle's already won. The victory is his. It is ours. And so this is, this is the heart that Paul gives as we get ready to transition into chapter 13. A lot of you are going to love that. But it's this. Look, God is sovereign. He's got everything. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't get so worn out and so exhausted to think, oh no, there's nothing more that I can do. It is all done. No, it's not. We are to overcome evil with good. So here are a few questions to consider this morning. This is the way of the Christian. This is, this is the Christ life. The question is, is this your life? Is, is this your, like, is this how you live? Is this how I live? That's the question that we must wrestle with today. This is not suggestions. This isn't, well, if you want a better life, then you'll do this. No, this is the way of the Christian. This is how we respond to believers and unbelievers. God has gifted each and every person who has been born again because the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. And in that giftedness, you are called to platform it with the love of Christ. The reason behind all of it is the love of Christ. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? If you answer that question this morning in the affirmative and you say, yeah, Josh, that's what I do. I attempt to do this every day. Then I would say that glory to God for that. And you should praise him and give thanks to him this morning. But if it's not you, the question now becomes then what do we need to do today to make this true of us? 
Ask the Lord to give you wisdom and boldness right now to be obedient to his will and his word. So as we move into an invitation time, we've heard in chapter 12, the first part that we are to to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, for that is our spiritual act of worship. In Christ, we've been given new life. In the Spirit, we've been given giftedness that point to the Father in heaven. But are we doing that in love? Genuine love. Of all the things that I've struggled with this week in this text, it's wrestling with abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. It's just what it is. And I don't know if that would be the same for you. Because everything else from that is going to flow. If you get those two things switched and you begin to love what is evil and you abhor what is good, then the way that you love other believers is going to be flipped and the way you love the world is going to be flipped. You're going to begin to to identify more, more with the world and find more problems with believers. And that's not a good place to be for a follower of Christ. So I don't know truly where you are this morning, but I do know we have a call to course correct. If they needed to hear it in the first century, we need to hear it today. And there's a call to action. So here's how it'll work. I'll be down front, love to pray with you. Our altar would be open if you want to pray there. But you know, you don't have to walk an aisle to do business with God. You can do business right there where you sit, where you'll stand in just a moment. I'm begging you with all that I am to consider the questions today. Is this you? Is your love genuine? Do you treat other believers the way that the Bible tells you you should? Do you engage the world in the way that the Bible tells you you should? If not, what do you need to change? This is how we will turn the world upside down. By living in the Christ-like way. Let me pray for us as we move into this response time. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it and giving it to us today and it being perfect and infallible and inspired and holy. And so Lord, I ask for my brothers and sisters and for myself, if this not be true of us, change us. Help our hearts love what you love. Help our hearts hate what you hate. Give us eyes to see needs around us. Give us hearts to engage the world. All for the sake of your name. All for your glory and all for your praise. Whatever it is that we will go to today and this week and the the month and the year to come, let us live like this and give you all glory and all honor and all praise. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond.